chapter 15, verse 1. It's on the screen. When you have it, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. For I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, convict us, Lord, uh, focus us, and help us to leave this place changed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning in the house of God. Amen. Praise God. Well, we are glad that you are here this morning. Aren't you glad that you're here this morning? Amen. Amen. It beats a lot of places that we could be. And so that song ministered to me this morning, Testify, because he brought us out. I was thinking about where God had brought me from in my life, and I'm so grateful that Jesus uh, didn't wait until I cleaned myself up to be able to come to him, but he came down to us in the form of that baby that was born in Bethlehem. Amen? And so I'm excited about that. Listen, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm just excited. My heart is full of fire and passion. And uh, I'm looking around this morning. I'm seeing people who have brought guests with them to church. I'm, I'm thinking about the men, the four men who were baptized last week. Praise God. Who, come on, that you could have done better than that. The four men who brought, brought who uh, gave their, their public testimony and proclamation of faith through water baptism. Think about my, my brother this morning who's got a whole bunch of people on the front row with him. Come on. Amen. That's what you're supposed to do when you get saved. That's what you're supposed to do. Amen. You're supposed to bring people to Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so I'm encouraged today about what I see. I'm encouraged about what the Lord has put in my heart. And uh, this morning we are starting a brand new series that we've entitled All About the One. If you look around the building, the various places where we have various things on our signs and everywhere, you're going to see this. And um, I saw this plastered on the wall when I was at my college graduation last month. And the Spirit of the Lord just jumped all over me. Because um, although I function as a pastor, my heart has always been for the lost. And uh, my heart is to, to seek and to save and to be about the mission of Christ. And, and um, as I've taught you before, Paul told Timothy, who was the pastor of Ephesus, to do the work of an evangelist. And uh, we're called to reach people. This is Mission Sunday, but we're not called to just reach people across the sea. We're called to reach people across the street. 
Amen. And so I have, I have prayed about this and earnestly prayed about it. And I think that along with Mission Sunday on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to make the first Sunday all about the one Sunday. And uh, it's going to be a goal for you to bring somebody to, to church and, and ultimately bring them to Christ on that Sunday. We used to call it pack a pew back in the day. But we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it all about the one. Because Jesus cares about just one person who doesn't know him. And so, this morning, that's what we're going to begin talking about. Now, I want you to know this. In our passage of Scripture that I read this morning, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 15, um, begins to talk to us about the trilogy of lostness. There's some things that are within that passage that I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about later. But he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and uh, what we commonly call the prodigal son. I'm going to talk to you a little bit different about that at the end of the month. And hopefully, you'll see it in a brand new light. But this morning, I just want to start kind of at the beginning. I want to talk to you about the very first thing that Jesus talked about in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 15, and that is the parable of the lost sheep. Somebody say the lost sheep. Now, this is important. This morning, I pray you have listening ears, listening eyes. I pray that if you've got to use the bathroom, the Lord will anoint your bladder to hold it this morning. I don't want you to miss anything that God has to say to us today. But I want to talk to you about the lost sheep. Um, most of you know this. I've said this before publicly after the last five and a half years, and it still rings true. I'm not a real big television person. Like, I don't sit down and just watch TV a lot. Um, I usually have my iPad or my computer with me, and I'm working on something, or I'm watching a short YouTube video or something. But I've just never been a sitcom person, just to sit down and just watch TV all day. You know, those of you who, who are around us enough, you know I can't sit still for very long. And uh, my attention span is, is you know, kind of sometimes. You know, people may think that's a weakness, but God uses that to allow me to be able to do a lot of things quickly. And so, uh, you know, I'm thankful he uses our weaknesses and makes them our strengths. And so, amen. But in that, I really didn't. But when I was growing up, I didn't have much of a choice. Now, when I was growing up, we had a television set in our living room. We were, we were so poor, the rainbow was in black and white. Serious. Serious. We weren't, we, when I was growing up, we were not allowed to run the air conditioner at my house. We were not allowed to make long-distance phone calls. There was a lot of things. We, we grew up, we, didn't, we were broke. We didn't have any money. My parents filed bankruptcy immediately after moving here from Los Angeles in uh, 1988. And it took some years to regain their stature and their composure. And God's blessed both of my parents since then. But, you know, that's just kind of where we come from. But we had this, this television that had rabbit ears on it. Anybody remember that? We didn't have direct TV. We didn't have dish. Listen, even back then, if you had satellite, there was this big monst monstrous thing that was in, come on, the, 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 the corner of the yard. There was no dish hanging on the corner of the house. And you had to dial it in, and it turned very slowly. And so we didn't have that. We had three, six, 12, and if you were really blessed, you had Fox 33 out of Shreveport. But if... By chance, the signal was not coming in real well. You had to take aluminum foil. Oh, that's too country for some of y'all. Yeah, we didn't have cell phone boosters. We had to make our own. We had aluminum foil. We wrapped that thing up, and somehow it made that picture come in real crisp. But I remember in the 90s, at home, 
fourth, fifth grade, sitting at home because my dad and them would get off from work or it'd replay on Saturday. And there's a particular show that we would watch. It came on on CBS, which was Channel 12 for us, and it was called Rescue 911. Anybody remember that show? I used to love that show. Man, TV shows were just better back then, more wholesome. But we used to watch Rescue 911. I remember a particular issue, or episode rather, of a, a firefighter was dispatched to this home that had been set ablaze. A fire had kind of broken forth through some faulty electrical wires in the attic. The insulation caught on fire, and quickly before they knew it, the house was engulfed in flames. The firefighters had, had gotten word that the mom and dad had gotten out of the house, but there was a child that was trapped in the upstairs corridor. And I don't know if you have ever experienced anything of the such, but uh, I cannot imagine the, the terror or the anxiety that a parent would feel knowing that you were outside of the fire while your children were inside of the fire and you felt helpless. But thank God that there are some people that are within our society that are called firefighters. And firefighters go through training. And, and a lot of communities don't even have enough people or enough funds to be able to have all of the people. So there are good-hearted people, like some of you in this room that I know, that say, you know what, I'll be a volunteer firefighter. You sign up for training, you go through the classes, you go through the simulations, and you are fitted for the suits, and you're sitting around waiting for the call that is very similar to this one. Now, I remember watching that show, and the firefighters pulled up, and the EMTs were out there in the yard, and all of a sudden, without thinking twice, without, without any type of, 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 uh, of safety for their own lives, with their gear strapped on, these firefighters rushed into this house, and they would not be stopped until this child was rescued from those flames. People that were out on the ground, they clapped and they applauded and they gave a big ovation as these firefighters carried this child who was coughing from the smoke inhalation over his shoulder. And, and, and everybody was saying, rescued, he was rescued, he was saved. And he was telling the firefighter, thank you so much for saving my son. Thank you so much for saving my baby. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about how transforming the picture is of how that demonstrates the gospel. It demonstrates the gospel. You see, because the Bible tells us that men who are outside of the family of God they're destined for the fiery flames of a place called hell. I know a lot of people don't talk about it today. They don't, they don't talk. It's not popular. It doesn't sell books. It doesn't promote you on Christian television. But I love the way that the singular book of Jude, the one little chapter book in front of Revelation, says it in Jude, verse 22 and 23. They have it on the screen. I want you to see how Jude says this. It says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. 
I want you to know something today. The work of evangelism in the life of a believer is nothing more than the spiritual rescue of those who are impending danger of the fires of eternal judgment. Friends, you need to know something this morning. If you are saved, if you have breath in your body, if you have been called by God, name is in the book of life, you are enlisted in the business of rescue. That's why every one of us who call ourselves a Christian should have at least attempted to invite somebody to church this morning. Friends, we have to have the passion to say, you know what? Even if it risks my own comfort, even if it risks my own life, I'm going to do what it takes to rescue at least one soul out of the fires of hell. Friends, I don't know about you this morning, but I know where I came from. Not only do I know where I came from, but I know where I was headed. I know where I was headed. You know, when you think about lostness, one person, there are a lot of people who they live and die by the numbers. They live and die by the crowds. And I think about the great evangelists like Reinhard Bonnke and Billy Graham and Daniel Kalinda and, and T.L. Osborne who had millions of people at singular crusades and hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people saved in Lagos, Nigeria. That's awesome. I love that. That's great. They are amazing. But listen to me. Each one of those men were also one-on-one -on -one soul winners. Because they realized it wasn't the crowd of people or the sheer number of people or the lights that were on their face that mattered. It mattered about the value of just one singular soul. You know, there are people in the world that society says they're not worth much. The homeless, the broken, those who are incarcerated, those who have been locked up, those who are, um, you know, uh, have different issues in life. And society says, well, they're not, they're not worth much. Friends, I want to talk to you about value. Value. You know, you turn on the television. You watch the Hulu, the Netflix. You get on the Facebook or whatever, and you see the advertisements. One thing I always see, usually after the first of the year, there'll be companies that will have, um, they'll have like different cars that go on sale. And they'll run sales like 0% interest for so many years, or they'll run uh, this kind of rebate or things of that nature. And that's great. I've taken advantage of all of that, and I know Chris appreciates it. But you know what I've never seen on television? I've never seen a Rolls-Royce commercial. I've never seen a Bentley commercial. And when you go to their website, you never see discounts. You know why? They understand the value of their product. And let me tell you how you determine the value. You don't determine the value by what you think. You determine the value by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Come on, the value of something is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. So somewhere down the road, Rolls-Royce got the idea, well, if somebody's going to pay $100,000 for this car, that's what we're going to charge for it. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
You may not think somebody's worth anything. You may not think that they have a shot in life, but their value is not determined by what you think about them. The value is determined by what somebody was willing to pay for them. And I got news for you this morning. Jesus died on the cross for them just like he died on the cross for you. And you may not be musty in the flesh, but you was musty in the spirit. Come on, somebody. You may have grown up on the right side of the track. You might have had a silver spoon in your mouth, but all of us, the Bible said, have gone astray like sheep led to the slaughter. And we needed somebody to step in and pay for our rescue. Friends, the business of evangelism is the rescue business. Have people all the time say, why don't you preach about this more? Why don't you preach about that? Well, first of all, I pray about what I'm supposed to preach. Second, somebody, somebody said, wow, and look, I have a great revelation on healing. I've seen a lot of people healed and uh, delivered and set free, and I preach on that. You know I do, but people say, why don't you preach on that more? And here's what I say to that. Jesus said, it's better that you would enter into uh, to heaven maimed than into hell whole. And there are a lot of people getting their healing, but they're not getting their righteousness. Healing is a byproduct of the gospel. Jesus bore sickness just like he bore sin. And he healed sinners and saved for different reasons. But friends, I'm trying to tell you this morning, eternity is racing in front of us all. And we've got to be about that one person who doesn't know Christ. I want to bring you to our text this morning. Luke's gospel Chapter number 15, Luke identifies three things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And we're going to look at that. But in this passage, Jesus, today we're talking about the lost sheep. Jesus refers to his people. That would be us. Somebody say, he's talking about me. He refers to us as sheep. Now, folks, I do not wish to offend you purposely. But I hope you know that wasn't altogether a compliment. If you've ever led sheep, or you've ever had sheep, or you've ever known anybody who's led sheep, or you've studied shepherds, then you understand sheep do not do good by themselves. They get into trouble. They get distracted. They fall away. They, they do all types of things. They end up hurting themselves. And Jesus describes us as sheep, as sheep. There was a time where Jesus was looking over a city. The Bible says his heart was moved with compassion. Why? He said because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. See, uh, Zechariah, the 13th chapter, verse 7 and this is speaking of impending judgment of Israel, but the context of it is still the same. The application is the same. Here's what Zechariah 13, 7 says. If you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. Sheep need a shepherd. That's why I haven't bought into this postmodernism gospel today that says you don't need to go to church and you don't need to belong to a church and you can do the Christianity thing all by yourself. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about the family of God coming together, being in fellowship. Come on, Jesus is coming back for the church, the church that he bought and he paid for. Sheep need 
a shepherd. And in this passage, this shepherd is leading his sheep. The context surrounding Luke chapter 15 was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers and the religious rulers sought to uh, trip up Jesus as they always did. Always seeking to paint him in a corner. Try to get him to contradict himself. But Jesus being the master illustrator and teacher that he was turns it on them and says, what, man, what manner of men among you if he had a hundred sheep, if he was to turn and count them and determine that one of them was missing, would he not leave the 91 safely in the wilderness and go and find the lost one and seek it until he has found it? And Jesus begins to talk about sheep. And, and, of course, the illustration is he's telling us that we are like sheep. This passage is significant because... In Jesus' culture, even today, not just in Israel, but even with the Maasai people that I happen to work with, whether it be sheep, goats, or cows, if you see somebody out herding the sheep, it is 90% probable that that person who is herding the sheep doesn't own the sheep. They are employed as an under-shepherd. There's a wealthy man who owns a lot of cattle, who owns a lot of sheep, who own a lot of goats. They are given the responsibility to steward a flock of, of, of goats or sheep or cows, whatever the culture in our, in our passage, sheep. They're given the responsibility to herd them, and not only are they to herd them, but they are to give an account for them. See, in those days... Culture was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You work at McDonald's today and you mess up a couple hamburgers, your, your employer doesn't say too much about it. In fact, it's expected. But at the end of the day, as a shepherd, or in the beginning of the morning as a shepherd, if you had 90, if you had 100 sheep that were signed out to you, and you go to count the heads of the sheep, which they did, I can take you to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, Solomon tells us, he says, he says, know the estate of your flocks because wealth does not last for all generations. In other words, the, the livestock was a part of how a person's wealth was accounted and they were to keep a track of it. So they were to count them. One, two, three, four, five. Listen, you are more than a number, but you are a number. Say, so I don't know about numbers. Well, God has a book called Numbers. There was this many of this one and this many of that one and this one and that one and this one and that one. God is about numbers. You don't believe God's about numbers? He also believes in multiplication. Why? Because when you have a hundred sheep, one of them eventually is going to become boyfriend and girlfriend. And hopefully, come on, I'm going to keep it PG. Hopefully, down the road, you have some more sheep. Because sheep produce, I think the pastor ought to grow the church, not his job by himself. You got to bring them. So in this passage, what we see is we see 
an under-shepherd who has counted his sheep and then he sees that one is missing. Jesus said it like this, and I don't want you to miss the wording of this. Over in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says these words. Which man of you, verse 4, having a hundred sheep, notice the wording of this, if he loses one. The first thing I want to talk to you about this morning, point number one, if you're taking notes, write it down as this. I want to talk to you about the lostness of the sheep. The lostness of the sheep. Jesus referred to the sheep as lost. Lost. That's a word we don't like in our postmodern Christian culture. Today, if people are halfway in the church and they're just testing the water, we say they're on a journey. They are to hell. There's no such thing as being in or out and halfway. Jesus said you're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. There is a such thing as being lost. And each and every one of us were lost at one point in our life. Do you know not one of us in this room, I don't care if your great, 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 great grandpappy was Smith Wigglesworth and they started a thousand churches. You weren't born saved. Jesus said, you must be born again. There was a point when every person in this room was lost. What does that mean? It meant that we had not yet accepted Christ as our Savior. His blood had not yet been atoned or applied or appropriated for our sins. And so we were wandering in the wilderness, lost, without a shepherd. We were lost. You know what's sad to think about? Some of you have family that are lost. Some of you have spouses that are lost. I'm going to shock every one of you. There are people in this church who are members that are probably lost. Well, pastor, I joined the church in 1973. Well, that's great. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said there would be wheat among the tares. And they look the same. And you don't tell the difference to harvest time. That's why people say, well, there's hypocrites in the church. There's a difference between a hypocrite and a baby Christian, by the way. Baby Christians are just learning. You know, we grow in grace. We grow in sanctification. I'd rather talk to a baby Christian who slips up and cusses every once in a while than uh, somebody who's been in the way a long time who don't ever win anybody to Christ. Hello. The lostness of the sheep. We got to see that. The sheep was lost for two reasons. The sheep was lost when he was disconnected from the shepherd. And the sheep was lost when he was disconnected from the rest of the flock. Here's what probably happened. Sheep are very curious. And as those sheep were grazing across the pasture, and they probably came to a well-watered plain, where that little sheep decided that it didn't want to follow the shepherd anymore, so it stopped to smell the roses. And while they stopped to smell the roses, everybody else just kept on moving. And all of a sudden, the sheep looks up and looks around and realizes 
it's getting dark outside. I don't have a keen sense of direction. I don't know where I'm going. And, and all of a sudden, the Bible says that our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know predatory animals, even lions, oftentimes do not pounce on a herd? You know why? There's strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. You take a hot coal, a barbecue grill, take a bag of briquettes, set them on fire, get them all blazing hot. As long as you keep them together, they all burn. But you know what? You can take the hottest piece of charcoal out of that uh, equation and set it to the side. Let it burn by itself for a little while. See what happens. Slowly, those embers will turn to ashes. That's the way it is when people are lost. They're, out, they're outside of the flock of God. They are undone. you got to understand something today. Lostness is a real thing. When a sheep is lost, it's vulnerable. When a sheep is lost, it is prone to attack. The Scripture doesn't stop there. It goes a little bit further. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep and you count them and you find that one is gone, you leave the 99 in the wilderness in safety. And you go and find the one until it's found. See, the first thing we see is the lostness of the sheep. But the second thing we see this morning is the pursuit of the shepherd. See, the shepherd understood something. The shepherd understood that 99 was not enough. That one day he was going to have to stand in front of the shepherd and give an account for this lost sheep. And likewise, similarly, the Bible tells us, let not many of you be teachers because you endure a stricter judgment. Hebrews tells us, Submit yourself to those who have rule and watch over your souls and don't let it be burdensome to them for that will not be profitable for you. Why? On the day of judgment, shepherds will give an account for the sheep. Give an account for the sheep. So the shepherd counted them. When he realized that one of them was lost, here's what he did. He bolted into action and he began to pursue until he could find that one sheep that was lost. Friends, let me tell you something. Those of you who are listening to me under the sound of my voice, those of you who are in this room this morning, I pray that God would put a burden and a mantle upon your life of soul winning. I pray that you would stay up some night so that God would wake you up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray and to intercede and to reach somebody who is lost. Pray that those of you who travel and you, you take airplanes, that you would pray that God would sit you beside who needs you to be sat beside. I pray that you would pray that God would order your steps no matter where you go because, listen, there are lost sheep all over the place. Can I tell you, Woodward is full of people who used to go to church. I got, I got one better for you. It's full of people who used to go to this one. I got one better for you. Some of them live with you. 
There are lost sheep all over the place. And the shepherd pursued until he found that one. I, I, I'd imagine the reckless abandon of this person who is trying his best to find that one who is lost. It's amazing. Why? He was concerned for the safety of the sheep. I was extremely overwhelmed when people walk away from the faith. It bothers me. I stay up at night. I ask myself, what did I, did I do something? Did, am I responsible? What, what happened? Because oftentimes you see people who just walk away. And that's when you and I have to understand Jesus gives us another thing. Sometimes goats get mixed in with the sheep. And the epistle writer of the New Testament said that some of them went out from among you because they were never part of you. So there are goats. In every church, in every congregation, you experience three things. Sheep, goats, and wolves. And wolves oftentimes wear sheep's clothing. So, I'm not talking about running after people who don't want to be here. I'm not talking about running after people who are causing trouble. I'm not talking about running after people. I'm talking about that one who really got distracted and has lost their way. Listen, not only does the shepherd pursue them, but the great shepherd pursues them. That song we sang this morning said, there's not one time I have ever been left alone. Folks, this passage means something to me because I was that sheep one time. God called me to preach at age 13. I had a dream about it. People going to hell. That's how I was called. I didn't get called at a camp or my grandma wanted me to be a preacher. Nothing's wrong with any of that. But my call was very specific when I saw and heard people that were experiencing eternal torment without Jesus Christ. And I woke up with an audible voice. You say, I don't believe you. I don't care. You say, did everybody hear it? I don't know, but I heard it. Preach my gospel. You know why I'm passionate? People think I go too far. I'm too radical. Folks, listen to me. If you saw what I saw, experience what I experienced, you'd understand hell is no joke. Hell is no joke. And eternity is too long to be wrong. Amazing grace, that great song says, and when we've been there 10,000 years, it'll have just begun. Sad part is the same thing is true about hell. The worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Jesus spoke of this place. 
He said it enlarges itself daily, the prophet Isaiah said. It is a place of eternal doomed and damned. And Jesus never meant for anybody to go there. He provided a way. This is why he's so passionate about pursuing those who are lost. He wants them to have a relationship with him. So this shepherd found the sheep, right? He finds it. And I can just imagine, he was, he was just so excited and overwhelmed with joy. That's what the scripture said. If it was my sheep, I probably would have beat it with a stick and said, come here, dummy, you know. But I'm not God. Thank the Lord I'm not God. I would have said, come here, dummy, you ain't never getting away from me again. No, that's not what the Bible said. The Bible said that he rejoiced. He took that sheep, put it on his shoulders because that sheep was tired. It was weary. It was roaming around aimlessly. That shepherd had exhausted himself. Gone out into a place of vulnerability. He laid it on his shoulder, rejoicing. My sheep that was lost is now found. One, somebody say one. One sheep, one sheep. Now, I want you to notice what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, and then when he comes home, verse 6, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. He says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Verse 7, here's what Jesus said, and I say to you, that likewise... There will be more joy in heaven over one. Somebody say one. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. We need to go back and read this again. Verse 7. For I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who that's a word you don't hear a lot of lately. You want to know why people aren't really getting saved? Because there's no repentance. You want to know why there's no repentance? Because there's no altar, altar calls. We got pastors preaching 15-minute sermonettes to Christianettes who go home, watch their TV sets while they smoke their cigarettes. They can go watch a Marvel movie for three hours and not flinch but can't come to church and sit under a convicting word of God. There's no altar call, there's no call to repentance, and everybody's too busy to get to the buffet than to come to the altar and pray. That's why people aren't getting saved. One sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Darren, you can come. Let me tell you the context of this passage. Verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15 says that they criticized Jesus and said, He eats with sinners. And the Pharisees were the one claiming to be righteous. We keep the law. We're law keepers. They were righteous, all right. Self-righteous. Their righteousness was not found in Christ. It was in their own selves. 
Jesus was trying to tell them that one sinner who comes to Christ is greater than 99 people who need no repentance. Here's the third thing I want to tell you as we get ready to close. Don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. I'm going to give you an opportunity before we leave after this altar call today to sow into an offering to reach people who've never heard the gospel. Number three, we see the pursuit of the shepherd. Number three, I want you to see the response of the saints. The Bible says that when he came home, that shepherd, and for the shepherd, his home would be where the rest of the flock were. Because the shepherd took care of the sheep. It says the people rejoiced. He said, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Verse 7 says this. And I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just people who don't even need it. Folks, let me tell you something. When somebody comes to Christ, it is the most exciting thing that happens in the spirit realm. The moment where hell loses its grip on one of God's precious, priceless, eternal souls. When a person says yes to Jesus, and the devil loses that grip. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. Another passage says it like this. There's rejoicing in the presence of angels. I, I believe the angels are rejoicing. But the scripture says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. You know who I believe is rejoicing? I believe who's rejoicing is that great cloud of witnesses. And Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe he's gets up off of his throne like he did when Stephen was being stoned and martyred. The Bible says he looked up and he saw Jesus standing. I believe Jesus, Zechariah says, he rejoices over us with singing. He, he joys over us with great joy. I believe when a sinner comes to Christ, all of heaven is excited because hell has lost another one. And another sheep has come home. Folks, everybody to close your Bible for a minute. I want to talk to you real straight. If this church is not about the business of reaching souls, if it's not the number one priority of what we do, reaching souls and discipleship, those are the two things, and missions, but that would go to number one. If those are not the top two things that we're called to do or that we prioritize, what are we doing? What? What? This morning, I pray that the Lord Jesus drop upon you a fire to reach people for Christ like never before. Not just a text, not just to share a Facebook post. That's easy. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to have a brain to share a Facebook post. I mean a conversation with somebody 
eyeball to eyeball, let them know you. I care about your eternal soul. Where you spend eternity is going to matter. I love you, and I don't want you to go to hell. Listen, if you're in this room this morning, you don't know Christ, I don't want you to go to hell. I lived a life, I backslid, I was the sheep who walked away. This great shepherd pursued me, found me in a bar. I wasn't drinking, but I was playing music. He found me, said, what are you doing in here? At that moment, I felt worthless. I was dirty from wandering around in the wilderness. But he picked me up, carried me home. The same Jesus that did that for me, I'll do that for you. I want everybody to stand.